I like you, you're nice. Seems like I've known you for years. But we met just an hour ago. I'd never know we're such old friends. And I like you a lot, so don't go. You're nice. You're very much me. How very nice we could be. But we wouldn't have all that we have. Let's never know and just be friends. Cause I like you a lot, so don't go. Take me home and stay for a while with me. If you're good, I'll make you a marvelous, wondrous, and quite notorious cup of Costa Rican coffee. Cause I like you, yes, I like you, you're nice. <laughs> so I wrote this sermon listening to Blossom Deary. Uh, and are, are any of you familiar with Blossom Deary? A couple folks out there, okay. <laughs> I, went, I probably went a little too old school for folks. Um, she was a jazz pianist, singer, composer, collaborator with Dave Frischberg, who wrote songs like Peel Me a Grape. Uh, she was also a founding member of the Swingles Singers. Who knew that? Uh, she always sounded a bit like she had just woken up and was whispering in your ear with a hangover. <laughs> she had this little voice and she sang like that. You know. Um, I first heard her when I was a small child. And my parents were really, really into jazz. And I recall always hearing at least one of her recordings over and over. I also recall that my mother could do a wicked impersonation of her rather delicate and childlike voice. Peel me a grape. I mean, anyhow, I encourage you to look up Blossom Deary on Spotify. Great channel. Now, I actually selected this song as the opening number for my act when I was a performer but I was talked out of it because it wasn't perky and upbeat enough. Still, I think it's a great sentiment. It's a playful lyric, somewhere between a seduction and a handshake of a best buddy. You're nice, you're very much me. How very nice we could be. But we wouldn't have all that we have. Let's never know and just be friends. I wanted to start with this sentiment, I like you, because I do, and because sometimes I think life is actually that simple. I like you, you're nice. There's a stillness to this phrase, a calm, a directness. If only the world could figure out how to do this. Hmm? Imagine if Congress could say things like this to each other. <laughs> or world leaders. Imagine how many lives could be spared if someone had the bright idea to put down the ego, 
let go of the ambition-soaked agendas, look a fellow human being in the eye and say, I like you, you're nice. It might be li like living in a global Canada. <laughs> I say that, I got Canadian family, so. There's a lot to being able to be being able to say something so simple, however. There is also vulnerability in these words. And I think that's part of the reason that they speak to me when I think of what it means to be held in community. In the context of how we come together, these words are jam-packed with meaning. I like you. You're nice. <laughs> it's surprisingly comforting in its plainness as well. It implies that not only do I like you, but I care about you, and that's important. Part of my reason for pointing us toward the direction of holding as our theme for the month of December is because this season, the holiday season, can be extremely difficult for many people. While the President of the United States is busy globally politicizing Christmas, there are many of us who look at this time of year with very personal anxiety, regardless of whether we say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. As a personal example, I can share with you that although I've had many, many lovely times over the years between Thanksgiving and New Year's, including some of my most memorable trips to England, singing with the All Souls Choir in Washington, D.C., and Christmas Day in Hilo, Hawaii, with Santa arriving at the ship on a lifeboat. <laughs> I also can never really forget the fact that the anniversaries of both my mother and my grandmother's deaths come within 10 days of Christmas on either side. And I don't bring that up for pity or an outpouring of condolences, but more to remind us all that the complex array of emotions that are in this room at this moment and in the coming weeks are extremely real and present for the people in here and in our community in unexpected ways. As such, being held at this time can be delicate stuff. And as a result, the way that we accomplish that holding may take many different forms. You know, it's truly inspiring to have the chance to speak about being held in community on a day when you're recognizing so many member anniversaries, especially over such a span of time. That people are willing to stick around and recommit in so many different ways is a sign to me that this community knows a lot about what it means to be held. It also tells me that you like one another quite a lot. As I see it, there are three ways that we can look at how we are held in community. I think the first way that many of us may conceive of what it means to be held in community is through doing stuff. Doing stuff together here at church. We are incredibly blessed to have so many people here who are so active, who bring so many gifts to, the, to all the different kinds of work going on here. Unitarian Universalists tend to be doers, and I think we prove that quite well. 
For instance, think what it means to have a community of volunteers creating something like the auction, that with all of its many moving parts and the incredible engagement that it represents for the church is also creative and sustaining and necessary for the survival of our community. That's awesome. Or think about the way the covenant groups have come together and evolved and grown. Not just sharing like minds and experiences, but now also intentionally coming together, growing into affinity groups, LGBTQI, elders, women's sacred circle. There's richness in being able to see and be seen in these ways. Of course, social justice brings a lot of folks to this place. Our social justice teams are another incredible way that people feel held. Having a common cause to focus our righteous indignation at is not only satisfying, it's productive, and it results in real change in our world. It's thrilling to go to meetings and see new faces entering in this work and new leaders emerging as well. Social justice is our UU calling card, and it is one of the most important ways in which people discover our communities. We have the choir as well. They lovingly blend their voices as part of our shared time together. And quite beautifully today, thank you so much for the gifts that you've all brought today. I know that one of the reasons I'm even standing here today is because I started singing in a church choir. Started as a child. Having the opportunity to bring creativity and service together in one aspect of how we gather is incredibly satisfying. Later today, I have the great advantage of being part of one of our community dinners as well. This is another way that we're coming together, that we hold each other. And it's a chance for people to meet me up close and personal, but the real joy is actually in folks getting to know each other a little bit better in a different kind of a context and to form different kinds of bonds. It's beautiful to watch this evolve and I'm sure we'll want to continue these kinds of gatherings and get-togethers in the coming years because they're quite simply a lot of fun. We also come together over some difficult issues and in search of finding ways to better understand our differing views and journeys. In fact, this spring, we will begin the work of introducing Beloved Conversations, the curriculum by Mark Hicks, to the congregation through some specific and targeted engagements. This is an opportunity to intentionally take our multicultural and anti-racism work to another level and into a broader part of our mission. These will not be easy conversations. They'll be focused on race, implicit bias, class, etc. But they will serve as a catalyst to assure that no matter who comes into this space, they have a way to feel held. And there is so much more, so much more that people get involved in and do. The commitment that people have to doing things together here is mind-blowing. You should all be very, very proud. It is a reason that I like you.
And at the same time, I have to remind us that doing stuff isn't the only way in which we show up and come together as a community. What about those who, for any number of reasons, can't be involved with groups or committees or, or they don't want to? What does being held in community mean for us, for those who are not always here that way? Do we have the room to hold them as well? What about those people who come here simply to be around other people? Those who have hearts that ache. People who may be living isolated lives, either by intention or by default. Maybe they work from home or have no family or have no family nearby. Maybe they're simply more introverted and don't enjoy having to interact regularly with big crowds, but they're comforted by being alone in this crowd. There are also those who may look at this physical space and find it inspiring. Between the history and the sheer size of the place, it may transport someone to an emotional location of great inspiration and comfort. This may be respite for someone. Then there might just be a few people who come here for the message. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. I don't know. <laughs> Clunk. <laughs> they may enjoy my words, or they may love the selection of music and readings. They may simply enjoy the message of Unitarian Universalism, and I may have nothing to do with it whatsoever. Regardless, these are all ways in which people may come to this place in order to feel held. Our country and our culture are in tremendous flux right now. Even Unitarian Universalism is bumping along into a new reality. And I would venture to say that there are very few people who aren't in some way seeking to feel held by coming here. Some of us are doing, some of us are being. There are pros to con and cons to each, but we must make space for all of them. But after doing and being, there is still another way in which we are held in community. I believe that whether or not we are doing or being, all of us who come to this place are held by a common desire to know and trust in a world where there is wholeness and healing. It could be our personal wholeness, or it could be the healing of the criminal justice system. It could be our public stance against gun violence or our personal healing of our own racial biases. Whether we are doing or being, whether in groups or on our own, the pursuit of the beloved community is something in which we all share. We're here because we anticipate and we aspire to and invite a world that is not limited by a narrow set of beliefs, but is expanded by embracing the spectrum of beliefs that empowers us all to thrive. Now, you may have forgotten momentarily what the world might actually look like, especially 
with constant reminders that there are folks with particularly loud megaphones who don't seem to share those same beliefs. So indulge me while I remind you of what some of the beloved community will actually look like. It is a world where gender doesn't equal class or privilege. It is a world where sex and sexuality knows no violence. Where masculinity is released from the perversion of imperialism. Where art is more sacred than wealth. Teachers are still as important, if not more, than technology. Mentors are more precious than money. Where poverty cannot exist because humanity represents the highest value. Where there is no such thing as having to choose between water and oil. It is a place where everyone has somewhere to call home where organic is not just a grocery fad, but the way we praise and protect the earth from which we come, where health is not a time bomb in someone's body that explodes as catastrophic debt, where we recognize how elders are our most treasured past still living in our presence, where ability is in someone's pulse, and not in a standardized test, where race only exists as far as our human variations enlighten and enliven us all, where women are not vessels or beasts of male burden, but prophets who hold the promise of tomorrow, where Twitter is a novel convenience and not global policy on war and peace, where the concept of a gun is totally obsolete. And the promise of these precious gifts, the anticipation of how our lives can add up to this glorious vision, this is what holds us. Wow. For Christians, the season of Advent is about joyous anticipation. Specifically, it is about anticipating the coming of grace into the world, in the body of Jesus, in the love he is supposed to bring to the hearts of humans and the glory that is to come through him at the end of the world. And Christian communities are gathering during this particular Advent season with deep questions about their faith and how it will continue to sustain them. In conversation with my colleagues in other denominations, they are truly struggling with keeping focused on the future that their tradition promises. We are also carrying many of the same anxieties, even if we don't hold the same religious structures. The language and framework of Christianity is a stretch for many Unitarian Universalists. So we cannot fully turn to the explicit faith message of Advent but we can still appreciate what it means to be called to the, the giddy anticipation of realizing a fully healed world. Whether it is through our doing or our being, we are always held by our shared pursuit of the beloved community. 
Yes, I like you. You're nice. And it's because I want to be in this beautiful world with you all. Blessed be.